Book One, Chapter Seven of Saint Francis of Assisi, a Biography, by Johannes Jorensen, translated by Thomas O'Connor Sloan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Francis the Church Builder, Chapter Seven: The Abandonment of His Home and Father. One April day in the year twelve o seven. Pietro di Barnadone stood behind the counter in his shop when he heard a great noise in the street, the sound of many voices shouting, screaming, and laughter. The noise approached nearer and nearer. Now it seemed to be at the nearest corner. The old merchant signed to one of his clerks to run out and see what was going on. Un paso, Messer Pietro, was the clerk's contemptuous report. It is a crazy man whom the boys are chasing. The clerk stood yet a moment and turned around, white in the face. He had seen who the crazy man was. And a moment after, Pietro di Bernadone stood in the doorway and saw in the midst of the howling crowd who now were close to the house his son, his Francis, his firstborn, for whom he had dreamt such great things and for whom he had nourished such bright hopes. There he came now home at last, in a disgraceful company, pale and emaciated to the eye, with disheveled hair and dark rings under his eyes, bleeding from the stones thrown at him, covered with the dirt of the street which the boys had cast upon him. This was his Francis, the pride of his eyes, the support of his age, the joy of his life and his comfort. It had come to this. To this had all these crazy, cursed ideas brought him. Sorrow, shame, and anger almost overcame Pietro di Bernadone. Nearer and nearer came the shouting and howling throng. Mercilessly grinning, they called to him where he stood upon his steps. See here, Pietro di Bernadone, we bring you your pretty son, your proud knight. Now he is coming home from the war in Aquila and has won the princess and half the kingdom. The old merchant could control himself no longer. He had to give way to rage to avoid weeping. Like a wild beast he ran down into the mob, striking and kicking to right and left, until the crowd, fairly frightened, opened and dispersed. Without a word, he seized his son and took him up into his arms. His rage gave the old man a giant's strength. Raging and gritting his teeth, he bore Francis through the house and finally threw him, almost exhausted and out of his senses, down upon the floor in a dark cellar, where he locked him in. With trembling hands, he stuck the keys in his belt and returned to his work. Pietro di Bernadone's hope was to overcome his son's last madness with a good term of carcere, to use the German student's expression. To the dark prison he added, therefore, in addition, a diet of bread and water. Thinking that he would thus reach his son's weak point, whose sweet tooth he had known since his early days. But the old days were gone, and Francis had changed. He was approaching the times when he would sprinkle ashes on his food if it tasted too good, saying to his brothers that brother ashes was chaste. 
and when messer petro after the lapse of a few days had to go out again and fru pica opened the door of the prison hoping to do with her tears and prayers that which imprisonment and hunger had not accomplished she found her son uncowed and unsubdued yes glad to have suffered something for his convictions after she realized that francis would not give up his new mode of life she took advantage of the absence of her husband and set the prisoner at liberty and as a bird flies to its nest francis at once returned to his refuge by san damiano pietro di bernadone soon returned from his trip and found the cage empty instead of again seeking his son in san damiano he tried the law he turned to the lawyers of the city for the purpose of disinheriting his erring son or at any rate of banishing him from the locality furthermore he wanted to get back all the money that francis was in possession of apparently the mother had not let her son go away from home empty-handed perhaps all the money of the foligno transaction was not yet spent in the words of the chronicler mariano pietro di bernadone was republicae benefactor et provisor a benefactor and guardian of the republic one of the city's greatest benefactors nothing was more likely than that the authorities would seek to accede to his request and the herald of the state was sent down to arrest francis on his part he refused to obey the summons answering by the grace of god i am now a free man and not obliged to appear before the court because i am only the servant of the highest god as sabatier has remarked this answer can only be taken in the sense that francis had now received the lower orders and so came under the jurisdiction of the church the intimate relations between him and the bishop of assisi give this supposition great probability the father seems to have awaited the return of the herald in the city hall in any case the lawyers let him know at once that they to their sorrow had to let the case go pietro di bernadone however would not let the legal prosecution thus begun cease and shortly brought his complaint into the episcopal palace on the piazza del vescovado before the representatives of the church the affair was here taken up and at an appointed time father and son met before the bishop from the first it was evident on whose side his sympathies were the motive which he adduced to persuade francis to return all the money he might have received from his father was anything but acceptable to pietro di bernadone if it is your desire to serve god said he to the young man then give his mammon back to your father which perhaps has been obtained by unjust methods and therefore should not be used for the benefit of the church these words said in the presence of the numerous hearers who had come to the palace to hear the celebrated suit between one of the city's most distinguished men and his crazy son were not adapted to pacify the old merchant all eyes turned from him to his son who sat on the other side of the bishop still clothed in his costly scarlet clothes and now something wonderful happened 
something that never before had happened in the world's history and never will happen again something which the painters of succeeding centuries should immortalize which poets should sing of and priests preach about francis stood up in silence with streaming eyes my lord said he turning towards the bishop i will not only give him the money cheerfully but also the clothes i have received from him and before any one had time to think what he intended to do he had disappeared into an adjoining room back of the courtroom a moment later to reappear naked except for a girdle of hair cloth about his loins and with his clothes on his arm all involuntarily stood up pietro di bernardone and his son francis were face to face and with a voice that trembled with emotion the young man said as he looked over the heads of the audience as if he saw someone or something in the distance listen all of you to what i have to say hitherto i have called pietro di bernardone father now i return to him his money and all the clothes i got from him so that hereafter i shall not say father pietro di bernardone but our father who art in heaven and francis bent down and laid his clothes of scarlet and fine linen at his father's feet along with a lot of money a mighty movement ran through the audience many began to weep even the bishop had tears in his eyes only pietro di bernardone was unmoved with a face of stone he stooped down white with rage but without uttering a word and took up the clothes and money then the bishop stepped over to francis spread his cape over him and clothed the naked young man in its white folds as he pressed him to his heart from now on francis was what he so long had wished to be the servant of god only and a man of the church when the first strong emotion was over and francis was alone with the bishop he began to think of clothing for the young man in the bishop's residence there was found an old cloak which had been the property of the gardener francis took this with delight and as he left the bishop's palace drew with a bit of chalk he had found a cross on the back of the poor garment it was in april twelve o seven that pietro di bernardone's son thus literally complied with the words of the gospel to forsake everything and taking up the cross to follow jesus the umbrian april is equivalent in point of view of the season to may or better june in denmark the clear sun shines day after day brightly from a clear sky the air is fresh and healthy purified by the many downpours of the winter's rain the roads are not yet dusty but firm and good to travel over and the corn is growing under the olive trees bright green and of half its final height sprinkled with quantities of bright red poppies it is the most beautiful of the italian seasons far better than the unhealthy torrid fever-bearing autumn it was on such a sunny april morning that pietro de bordone's son clothed in the old gardener's cloak left the bishop's palace in assisi to go out into the world 
like one of those evangelic strangers and pilgrims the scripture tells of every man's life is the fruit of his innermost will and therefore francis had attained that which he so long had striven for that which he had put to the proof in rome what he had prayed for in the solitude of the umbrian cave to be allowed to follow the naked and suffering saviour himself naked and suffering francis wandered forth from the home of his youth and from the city of his early days from father and mother from family and friends from all his past and all his memories he went neither out to san damiano nor down the plain to portiuncula's little chapel there are moments in the life of man when the soul is drawn to the greatest things in nature's gift to the mountains or to the sea francis wandered forth from assisi by the gate in the direction of monte subasio on the road which takes one up the mountain and remembering the words of the gospel about him who lays his hand to the plough he certainly never looked back until the towers and roofs of assisi were long out of sight beneath him and he found himself alone on the heights of monte subasio in a young oak woods or among great barren fields of stone hence his glance wandered far over the world the valley of spoleto lay under his feet as if seen from an air balloon with its white roads bright rivers fields with olive trees in regular order and houses and churches like toys the mountains which below us easy hem in the horizon seem sunken down and low and behind them higher ones of paler blue lift up their summits the far distant apennines francis had started off in the direction of gubbio in this village which in a straight line is only four or five miles from assisi lived one of the friends of his earliest youth perhaps the same friend who used to go with him to discover the treasure in the cave it inevitably takes time to wander about the mountains day was already waning and francis had not yet crossed the wild wood-grown mountainside that separates assisi from valfabrica still he wandered along confidently and sang in french the praises of god as he was wont to do in the happiest moments of his life then there was a rustling among the dry leaves that spread the ground the branches and twigs were disturbed and a robber band broke out from concealment with a threatening who is there undisturbed francis answered i am the herald of the great king but what is it that you desire the highwayman looked for a moment at the wonderful apparition in the shabby cloak with the chalk-drawn cross on the back then they determined to let him go without further molestation but so as to let him know what he had escaped they took him by the arms and legs and flung him into a cleft where the snow in spite of the april sun was still deep lie there you peasant who wants to play at being a herald they said to him and departed it was only with difficulty that francis managed to work his way out of the drift in the cleft singing the praises of god as before he wandered on over the mountain 
after a little space of time he drew near to a little benedictine convent where he received shelter in exchange for serving in the kitchen here he stayed several days in the hope that he would be able to supplement his scanty garments by a cast-off monk's costume they gave him while there hardly enough food and as his first biographer says not actuated by anger but driven by necessity he went on to gubbio it is easy to believe that the prior of the convent came to give excuses after francis had become a celebrity but at this time francis was not celebrated and it is also credible that the good prior never gave a thought to his hard-hearted inhospitality and yet saint benedict in the rule of his order commands the strangers shall be received as christ at last francis reached gubbio and there found a friend from whom he received the clothing he had wished for and which was the same that hermits used to wear with a girdle around the body and shoes and staff other friendly services he did not accept and the biographers tell how francis lived in the hospital of gubbio how he washed the lepers feet bound up their sores treated their boils dried up the matter and often kissed the separating sores but meanwhile francis's own particular work awaited him in san damiano near assisi and one day he found himself there again to begin the work god had given him to do to restore the church edifice during his absence rumors seemed to have flown fast for the priest was it appears anything but glad to see him again and francis had to appeal to the word of the bishop which affirmed that he had the approval of the authorities of the church a question which never before had occupied francis now presented itself to him in all its prosaic obtrusiveness the question of money where would the money come from with which to restore san damiano if necessary francis could handle the trowel but stone and mortar could not be had for nothing and this last was the very thing francis undertook to provide for to procure for nothing the required stone and lime now he could avail himself of what he had learned in his troubadour and jongleur days one day men saw francis in his hermit robes in the market-place in assisi singing in public like another wandering minstrel and when he had ended his song he went around among his auditors and begged he who gives me a stone will have his reward in heaven said he he who gives me two stones will have two rewards he who gives three stones will receive three rewards many laughed at him but francis only laughed back others the legend tells us were moved to tears to see him converted from such great worldliness and vanity to such an intoxication of love to god francis actually succeeded in getting together a quantity of stone which he carried away on his own shoulders he also did the masonry work and people who went by used to hear him singing in french as he worked if anyone stopped to look at him he would call out to them you had better come and help me to build up st damien's church again such zeal and self-sacrifice 
could not fail to affect the old priest of San Damiano's, and to show Francis his appreciation, he used every evening to wait upon him with one or another selected dish, according to his limited means. This went on very well for a time, until one fine day it occurred to Francis to ask himself if he ever would be able, on his return to the world, to be certain of finding so attentive a host as here. What am I doing, said he to himself, is not living the life of a poor man, as I have wished to do. No, a real pauper goes from door to door with his bowl in his hand and takes everything that good men will give him. And this is what I must do from now on. Scarcely had the midday bell rung in Assisi the next day, and the people were sitting at their tables, when Francis, with his bowl in hand, went on his circuit through the city. He knocked at all doors and got something at many of them, here a sup of soup, a bone with a little meat on it, a crust of bread, some leaves of salad, all sorts of things mixed together. When Francis had ended his begging trip, his bowl was full, but of the most unappetizing mixture one could think of. Lost in thought, the young man sat on a stoop and stared down into the bowl, which seemed most like a trough filled with dog's meat. Nearly vomiting with nausea, he put the first bit to his lips. And behold, it was just as when he kissed the leper in other times. His heart was filled with the sweetness of the Holy Ghost, and it seemed to him as if he never had tasted such exquisite food. Entranced, he rushed home and said to the priest that for the future he should do his own providing well enough. Thus was the son of Pietro di Barnadone become a public beggar, and it is easy to understand that the old purse-proud merchant, so jealous of his honor, felt the blow even heavier than any of the preceding ones. From now on he could not bear to see his son, but burst out into wild curses when he met him. Francis was perhaps not altogether insensitive to this outburst of wrath. In any case, from this time Francis used to take with him an old beggar named Albert on these peregrinations, and when they would meet Pietro di Bernardone, Francis would kneel down in front of his companion and would say, Bless me, father. See now, he would say, turning to the old merchant, God has given me a father who blesses me, in your place who curse me. Francis's younger brother, Angelo, also shared in the persecution of the voluntary beggar and church builder. One cool morning he saw Francis, who in his humble clothes was hearing mass in one of the churches of Assisi, and Angelo said to his companion, and so loud that his brother could hear him, Go there and ask Francis if he will not sell you a shilling's worth of sweat. Francis heard it and answered back in French, I have already sold it at a good price to my Lord and Savior. Meanwhile, the work at San Damiano progressed rapidly. It was more a putting to rights than a rebuilding. As a sort of conclusion to the work, Francis wished to leave the priest a good supply of oil for the altar lamps, especially for the perpetual lamp before the Blessed Sacrament. For this purpose, he 
he went on a round through Assisi to beg for oil, and it so happened that on this occasion he came to the house of an old-time friend, just at the height of a festival. Now at last his courage weakened. He who had defied his father and had not feared the robbers on Monte Subasio was ashamed to be seen by his old companions. Perhaps he had one of those indescribable depressing moments, experienced by all converts, when that which has been left behind appears with perfect clearness to be one of the natural, right, and reasonable things, while the new thoughts and the new life suddenly present themselves to one as something artificial, acquired, stilted, something one would give anything to attain, but which it seems useless to strive after. Perhaps the hermit's costume, which Francis in general so willingly wore, suddenly seemed to him a laughable mummery, and perhaps he seemed to himself less of a man than in those days of joy long past, when he wore the party-colored costume of the jester. If he had been fighting his own fight at this time, it would have lasted but a short time. The legend tells us that he walked a few steps beyond the house of festivity, but that he despised his weakness, turned around, and told his friends how weak he had been, as he at the same time begged them, for charity's sake, to give him an alms for oil for the lamps of St. Damien. After he had finished this work, Francis, so as not to be idle, undertook a similar one in repairing the old Benedictine church of St. Peter, which is now in Assisi, but then was outside the walls. And finally, he began the restoration of the little old field chapel, before which he was one day found weeping over the sufferings of Christ. Portiuncula, also called Santa Maria degli Angeli, Our Lady of the Angels. Francis chose as his abode for a longer time a spot in the vicinity of this little church, which, like San Damiano, belonged to the Benedictine convent on Monte Subasio, and was said to have been built by pilgrims returning from the Holy Land in the year 352. There is no doubt that he constantly regarded the restoration of churches as his real vocation in life. Even so late as 1213, he founded a church in honor of the Blessed Virgin, and in 1216, he filled a not inconsiderable role in the renovating of Santa Maria del Vescovado in Assisi. Like all humble souls, he knew that it is of less importance what one does than how one does it, and he felt the call to what Verlaine many years after called la vie humble, o irvo ennuye et facile, the humble life of tiresome and easy achievements. This life, which precisely on account of monotony and lack of great things to be done, exacts so much charity, so great a power of seeing God's eternal will back of the whole mass of small endless affairs, so as every day to live in the Sunday spirit, rest their guy quand le jour, triste, suicide au jour, être fort, et suzer en circonstances vie. Francis belonged to the strong and cheerful souls who can do this, 
he saw laid out before him a vista of his future life to be spent in the work of a day laborer for little or no coarse bread he saw evenings of lonely prayer the lonely hearing of mass in the mornings and visits to the altar in chapels and churches by the wayside and among the mountains for the mass the liturgical sacrifice in memory of the sufferings and death of jesus was already the central point in francis's religious life he writes of this the first year of his conversion in his testament here in the world i see nothing of the son of the highest god but his most holy body and blood and these most sacred mysteries i will venerate and honor above all things and in one of the oldest of his admonitiones his admonitions to brothers in his order an accordance is found with the above all who have seen jesus christ in the flesh but have not seen him after the spirit and in his divinity and have not believed that he was really the son of god are doomed also all those are doomed who see the sacrament of the body of christ which is consecrated with the words of the lord on the altar and by the hand of the priest in the form of bread and wine but do not see it in the spirit and divinity and do not believe that it really is our lord jesus christ most holy body and blood it was not the general custom in the beginning of the thirteenth century for every catholic priest to read mass daily only on sundays or else after a special request and on important holidays was mass celebrated on all such occasions francis was invariably there at the place and to please him the priest from san damiano used often in the mornings to go down to portiuncula and hold the divine service in the newly restored chapel all who have lived in italy and have participated in the spiritual life of the people can tell by experience of the singularly impressive power of these very early divine services out of the morning's darkness which perhaps is lessened by the light of the setting half-moon or by that of a solitary great star shining far away over the mountains one walks into the church where the lights cast their ruddy glow over the altar table and the priest in his bright vestments stands at the foot of the altar steps makes the full sign of the cross and solemnly with a low voice begins the prayers of the mass with david's wonderful forty-second psalm and the responses of the acolyte are heard the holy service goes along rapidly in the deep silence and morning peace of the church are heard distinctly the whispered words from the priest's lips hoc est enim corpus meum hic est enim calic sanguinis mei and while the altar bell rings over and over again there is raised high over the bowed heads of the kneeling congregation the white host the shining chalice the body and blood of christ offered by the hands of the priest as the lamb of god who bears all the sins of the world in such moments one is lifted on mighty wings above oneself and one's misery and faith make themselves felt one cares to hope one desires to love god always to do his will and serve him only and never more to bow down 
to false gods on such a morning in the little chapel of portiuncula one day in february twelve o nine francis heard the passage in the gospel which seemed to him a new and clearer message from the lord still clearer than the words he had heard two years before in san damiano and which therefore remained effective for the rest of his life it was the feast of the apostle st matthew february twenty fourth on which francis heard the priest read the following passage from the gospel of st matthew chapter ten verses seven through thirteen at that time jesus said to his disciples and going preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out devils freely have you received freely give do not possess gold nor silver nor money in your purses nor scrip for your journey nor two coats nor shoes nor a staff for the laborer is worthy of his meat and into whatsoever city or town you shall enter inquire who in it is worthy and there abide till you go thence and when you come into the house salute it saying peace be to this house and if that house be worthy your peace shall come upon it but if it be not worthy your peace shall return to you when francis went back in thought to that mass of st matthew in portiuncula he regarded the mere reading of the gospel of the day as a divine revelation we read in his testament the highest one himself revealed to me that i should live in accordance with the holy gospel and again the lord revealed to me a salutation that we were to say the lord give thee peace the biographers tell us that after he had listened to these words and heard them exhaustively explained by the priest he was inspired and exclaimed this is what i want this is what i with all my soul want to follow in my life as if in a vision he had understood what the lord asked of those who aspired to be his disciples who would belong to him completely who would sacrifice themselves for him and serve him alone that they should be apostles that free from all superfluity and without the troubles of the world they were to go out into the world rejoicing in spirit bearing the old serious joyful message be you converted for the kingdom of heaven is near francis the church builder and hermit was now to become francis the apostle and evangelist the announcer of the gospel of conversion and peace he had scarcely left the church before he took off his shoes threw away his staff cast off his outer garment which he wore against the cold in place of his belt he tied a rope around his waist and clothed in a long brown-gray blouse of the kind the peasants of the region wore with the hood attached to go over his head he was prepared to wander through the world on his naked feet as the apostles had gone and bring it his master's peace if they wished to receive it end of book one chapter seven